This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Disease Week on Capitol Hill brings together rare disease community members from across the country to learn about federal legislative issues, meet other advocates, and share their stories with legislators. Because of ongoing concerns about the pandemic, this year's event will be conducted virtually. We spoke to Britta Dornan, Senior Director of Communications and Marketing for the Every Life Foundation, and Sarah Tompkins, Advocacy Chair of Rare Disease Week 2022, about this year's event, why rare disease patients should consider getting involved in legislative advocacy, and how rare disease patients and caregivers can best tell their stories to lawmakers. Britta, Sarah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, Danny. Yes, thank you. Excited to be here. We're going to talk about legislative advocacy, Rare Disease Week, and how rare disease patients and caregivers can add their voices to bring about change. Britta, let's start with Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill. How did it come about and how long has this been going on? Well, great question, Danny. Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill was started just over a decade ago by the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases under its RDLA program, which stands for Rare Disease Legislative Advocates. So for your listeners who might be getting ready for this weekend's game, let me put it this way. Out of all of our events year round, and we have many, Rare Disease Week is our Super Bowl. It's the biggie. It's the event that brings the entire community together. The event L- Lots is... of chips and beer? Or... <laughs> you know, it is virtual. So whatever you're doing on the other end is, is fine by us, Danny. <laughs> I don't think that made it into the care packages going to people, though. Um, maybe next year. Um, but it, it's all about the, the community raising their voices up together so that our policymakers in Washington, D.C. understand that rare disease is not somebody else's problem. It's a public health issue that we should all care about and, and prioritize. And so as a, as a patient myself living with a rare disease called primary lymphedema, I love Rare Disease Week because everyone touched by Rare Disease Week, no matter their experience level, they're welcome because we know that every voice matters and Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill is a huge way to make that voice heard and make an impact for the for the entire community. My, my guess is that this began as Rare Disease Day on Capitol Hill, but 
Give me some sense of, of how this has grown over the years. You would be right. Yes. In fact, it started uh, uh, you know, all those years ago, 11 years ago, when just about 70 people came from all around the country and they met up in a tiny restaurant before heading over to Capitol Hill for what was a one day of advocacy, as you said. And at that time, they advocated in support of provisions that were later included in the Food and Drug Administration Safety and Innovation Act of 2012. That's known as FIDESIA. And that bill was signed into law later that year. But yeah, over the years, the day evolved into a series of events called Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill. And it's really grown so much that before COVID, we were hosting the event for nearly a thousand people at the Ronald Reagan building in, in DC, which is a massive, massive event space. But um, this year it's going to be held virtually from February 22nd to March 2nd. And we're still expecting hundreds of advocates representing hundreds of diseases and patient organizations to join us. Well, before we talk about this year's event in general, what takes place during Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill? Okay. Yeah. Let me give you a quick uh, rundown of the, you know, the week. The meat of the week is the meetings that we set up at between advocates and their members of Congress. These meetings happen at the, at the end of the week and they're held via Zoom. Everything else leading up to that are the, the potatoes and the gravy. And these meetings are the opportunity for advocates to make their voices heard to, to policymakers. But we kick off the week with a rare disease congressional caucus briefing. And that's really focused to educating the members of Congress and their staff on issues impacting the rare disease community. This year, we're focusing on accelerated approval during, during that briefing. And, and, uh, and then that evening, is when we have our screening of a rare disease documentary so they can grab their popcorn maybe put down the chips and beer for, for that one and uh, enjoy the film and um, the week continues with two half days of training and that's when we prepare advocates online via zoom by teaching them about the legislative process what legislation is currently under consideration and and various tools and techniques that they can use to build the relationships with the members of Congress. So and, and sprinkled in throughout the week is, is a lot of fun stuff. We've got a, an online rare art gallery and it I, I swear it's kind of like a video game. You go in and you click on artwork and you, you click on videos where you meet the artists themselves who made these wonderful um, pieces of art. Uh, it's really cool. And then there's things like for, for young adults who are really, you know, craving some social contact. There's a meetup for them and there's different networking receptions throughout the week. So that's what, what is made up of. That's what makes up the week. So we got a lot packed in. Due to ongoing concerns about COVID, this year will be conducted virtually. Does that allow more people to participate? Does it create challenges and having the type of impact you seek to have that can happen when you meet with a congressional representative in person? I'll take the first part of your question first, that in general, yeah, we find that our events are engaging more people virtually than when they were held in person. And we think this is because of two reasons. One, that virtual events are more accessible. Patients and caregivers can join us 
for events that they otherwise would not have been able to because of travel costs, time off work to travel, or, or simply managing the complications of travel with their rare disease. Th these are no longer barriers. And secondly, we're finding that virtual events have been attractive to people who are new to the advocacy space. These, these, um, the in-person events can seem a little daunting to first-time attendees, and it's a little easier to dip your toe into the world of ag advocacy through, through Zoom and through your computer at home. So in this virtual atmosphere, it, it feels more accessible just to be able to pop into presentations or review recordings on your own and still be able to network if you would like to. So uh, these same advocates who, who have joined us and they never have before during virtual events, they say that they're planning to come back again, regardless of whether it's held in person or virtual, because they've they've been able to dip their toe in. They've been able to see what you know what a life changing experience it can be. But um, but to your second question about you know are we you know are we having the same impact uh, you know going virtual? Well, I mean, there's nothing quite like meeting someone in person and forming that bond. But virtual meetings do allow members of Congress and their staff to see into the window of the advocates' real life, to peek inside. They can see, you know, where, where they are. And, and it allows them to, to look outside and experience what's going on outside of what can sometimes be the bubble of Capitol Hill. And uh, so that, that creates an intimacy. If you don't blur your, your background on Zoom, that is. Uh, but, you know, I, I had a a virtual meeting with my member of Congress last year, and they were taking the meeting from their home. You know, I could see their their kitchen. You know, that that kind of that's a unique experience and creates a, a kind of intimacy. So, um, and again, I'll I'll say that um, that virtual meetings also allow for children to join their parents in these meetings when they might not have been able to travel to D.C. with their parents. So. Uh, but I would be curious about Sarah's experience with that as well, um, about whether she's, you know, she's been able to have the same kind of impact because she's been doing this for, for quite some time. Well, well, Sarah, let's talk about your experience. You've been an advocate for Ehlers-Danlos and other conditions. You've been outspoken on issues of chronic pain. You began your advocacy work in 2015. What happened? What made you want to share your story publicly? And why have you worked at both the state and national level to bring about legislative change? Thank you for that question, Danny. Well, really, my patient advocacy journey began explaining my symptoms to get that diagnosis, which took nine years from the onset of symptoms. Um, but really, my advocacy torch was picked up uh, after the unexpected passing of my best friend, Kelly Seltzer-Doyle, who shared my diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. She had been on her way to the NIH to participate in a study when she became ill in her family's home state. And upon her passing, that study ended, and it really ignited in me the passion to pick up the torch for patient advocacy that she really imparted with me. In 2015, I was proud to advocate for the Washington State Proclamation of Rare Disease Day, February 28th, in Olympia with other rare disease advocates. And my journey sharing my story and patient advocacy has only continued. 
Uh, I believe that it's so important to advocate on state and federal levels because with healthcare, each state has such a different structure for how they manage healthcare and legislation and policy. And one of the blessings of Rare Disease Week is that it gives us that opportunity to connect with other advocates in your state and share information, issues, upcoming events, and really build that advocacy team as a state so that you're got your state advocacy and federal advocacy teams really put together. And I've been so fortunate to have found the Every Life Foundation and the RDLA to build that foundation for my advocacy to inform and empower it to be its best. What's been your experience meeting with legislators and, and their staffs? I have been so blessed to have really great experiences meeting with my legislators and staffs. My best friend Taylor Hiddle actually introduced me to the RDLA and Rare Disease Week as a healthcare staffer for Representative Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma. And she was the one who shared with me how I could share my story to Washington legislators. And hearing how dedicated she and their office and Representative Mullen were working for their constituents and supporting rare disease legislation and policy really taught me how invaluable it was to share your story to staff and legislators and began my first Rare Disease Week in 2017, and uh, everyone that participates is advocating and sharing their story. They're doing something so meaningful for not only themselves, but for their patient communities and for all patient and rare disease communities, really. One of the things that I imagine can surprise advocates, and I'll, I'll say this politely, is that when they meet with a legislator, the level of understanding they have can be quite varied and their knowledge of issues can be quite varied. How do you gauge that and how do you level set what you're going to say? You are so right. And it is absolutely important to do your homework and prep for Rare Disease Week. And RDLA has some amazing resources online through rareadvocates.org backslash RDW um, to really look at what your congressperson's history is in supporting rare disease legislation and policy, knowing what committees they serve on and keeping an eye out for anything you might share in common, like schools or communities and for example, I had a wonderful first experience meeting with Representative Adam Smith, uh, who adamantly stated his lack of awareness and really knowledge for healthcare committees and rare disease needs. Um, but he was so glad for my time and to learn more about my life with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and other conditions. And in explaining my genetic connective tissue disease to him and how I needed frequent joint surgeries to repair my stretchy tissue, we discovered that we actually share a hip surgeon, of all things. And uh, since then, he and his staff have been tremendous supporters of all of the legislation um, and it, policies that I've brought to them. And they joined the Rare Disease Caucus right after our meeting, which really meant the world to me. The other thing that may surprise advocates is how little time they actually get to communicate what they want to say. How much time do you typically get and how focused a message do you need to be able to deliver? Yes. We actually ask advocates at the beginning of the meeting just to ask how much time they have so you can kind of gauge because it's a good idea to have sort of a three-minute, a two-minute, and a 30-second elevator pitch. So you sort of have three versions of sharing your story and your ask that 
you can go to that can be very brief and to the point or can be more detailed if there are less advocates with you in your meeting and you have time for. Uh, if, if the legislator only has 10 minutes, we really want to try to prioritize our newer advocates who haven't spoken before. And, and knowing that sometimes not all, all of our advocates are going to be able to speak, this is actually an opportunity. Um, you are always able to contact them and follow up through email, and we suggest you do so to send a thank you. But this is a really great way to say, hey, thank you so much for our conversation for rare disease advocacy. Here was the legislation I was referring to. And maybe you want to invite them to a support group or a local event for your patient community, or maybe there's a rare disease event taking place nearby that you can invite them to and really start to establish that relationship with them because that's what you want so that to have already so that when you have something of action, you already have the relationship and connection to go to. Advocates who have not done this before I imagine can feel quite intimidated about speaking to an elective representative. What kind of training does the rare disease legislative advocates offer and, and how much preparation does someone need to go through? Well, luckily, the rare disease legislative advocates offer an incredible amount of training and participating in their virtual events and really going through their resources online are a thorough preparation uh, for your meetings. And what's so incredible is that not only do we offer the two legislative conference days, which as Britta said, are kind of the educational foundation of what we're the legislation and policies that are focused on for this year's Rare Disease Week, but we also have a virtual share your story event for you to practice sharing your story, as well as offering virtual office hours open for all to attend. And again, with that wealth of resources online at rareadvocates.com backslash RDW um, to help with that homework with for preparing with meetings. And why is it important for patients and, and their families to, to advocate? What's the case you'd make for doing this? You know, rare disease affects more than just the patient. We know that one in 10 Americans has a rare disease, but that's not considering the parents, families, friends, and communities of these patients who are also impacted by the well-being of, this, of the rare disease patients. When my husband was able to attend Rare Disease Week with me in 2020, we realized that he had a whole perspective as a caregiver husband advocate in sharing the sacrifices he makes to ensure that I have health care, insurance, transportation, caregiving for me, and just everything. And it's important that we advocate for the rare disease community, including caregivers, including friends and family and patients, because it's more than just patients. It's the entire community that's impacted. As someone who's done this, what would you tell others about your experience? What what would you encourage them to to get out of this? Personally, being able to just share my story and support legislation that I know will better my rare disease communities has brought me so much confidence, self-esteem, and really purpose. I'm a disabled full-time patient, and being able to create awareness and advocacy for my patient community and their needs is not just an honor and a privilege, but it really helps my own self-care and helps me practice being my own best advocate and being my own best advocate for others as well. I'm certainly a better and more effective advocate because of the foundation of advocacy. I've grown infinitely advocating with RDLA and Every Life Foundation during Rare Disease Weeks.
given that an advocate has such a short time to communicate to a representative, would you advise them to speak in very personalized terms? Should they make a, a formal ask? Great question. It's so hard to balance that personal story with a formal ask, but it's so important to tie the two together. And even if you have to shorten your personal story uh, along with your ask, remember that's a great chance for you to contact them and follow up through email to share more about your personal story or say, oh, I wanted you to also know this. And as long as you're sharing your experience, um, I spoke about the loss of my best friend, Kelly, who also had EDS. And when I shared that with Senator Cantwell, I became so tearful that I really struggled through my ask. But that gave me the opportunity to follow up an email with the specifics of my legislative ask for 21st Century Cures and invite Senator Cantwell and her office and staff to our local support groups. So remember that if you're being honest and if you don't know something, use it as an opportunity to provide the answer through follow up. And remember, whatever you aren't able to say is a great opportunity to just continue that relationship through conversation and follow up. Well, you mentioned follow-up. What advice would you have for advocates about following up and how much of an ongoing relationship should they try to build with representatives or their staffs? Emails are a wonderful thank you note, but I am a big fan of handwritten thank yous as well. Uh, certainly that's not necessary for everyone. I think it's to each advocate's comfort and uh, available level that they're able to give to it. But being able to keep that conversation going by inviting your elected reps and their staff to local events for your patient community and the rare disease community is going to keep that contact going so that when you do need to email them about an urgent rare disease action or legislation for your rare disease patient community, you'll already have established that connection and conversation and relationship. And uh, there's no wrong way to follow up if it's email, handwritten, phone call, there's no wrong way to follow up. Britta, each advocate may have their own policy agenda, but I'm wondering if you could touch on some of the major policy issues likely to be addressed during Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill. What, what are some of the key issues you expect to be discussed? Sure, I'd love to share that. Uh, let me just first say, Sarah, you are an inspiration uh, to me, and I just know to everyone who is listening. When I listen to you, I just, I always learn something new and I just, I just think you're amazing. So let me just say that before I go oh, on to Danny's question. So, um, so Danny, um, advocates who, who join us at Rare Disease Week are encouraged to speak to their members of Congress on, on whatever rare disease issue that they would like to discuss. It's, it's their time and we honor that. But I will give you a quick rundown of just a few different bills that touch the full spectrum of rare disease that we educate advocates on and that we expect to come up in these meetings. Let's see, the first uh, is the Speeding Therapy Access Today Act. Uh, that's also known as the STAT Act. So, Danny, the average time it takes to develop a rare disease drug is 15 years. That's way too long. So, like its name, the STAT Act is all about speeding the development of therapies across the spectrum of rare diseases and speeding access to these therapies. It does this by enacting targeted policy reforms at the FDA. Second, we have the Newborn Screening Saves Lives Reauthorization Act. 
Our nation's newborn screening program is one of the most successful disease prevention programs in the history of the United States. And yet the system is unsustainable and our babies are at risk. So this act is focused on expanding and improving the program so that all babies born in the U.S. have access to early detection of disease and the delivery of life-saving treatments. Next, the Better Empowerment Now to Enhance Framework and Improve Treatments Act, also called the Benefit Act. There has been much progress over the last decade in ensuring that the FDA is evaluating a drug for patients that the patient experience is being considered. A lot of progress, but we have a way to go. And the Benefit Act helps to close this gap by codifying in law that the FDA include patient experience data as part of what is called its risk-benefit framework. And lastly, I'll mention the Access to Genetic Counselor Services Act. Currently, Medicare denies its beneficiaries direct access to genetic counselors. But as we know, genetic counseling is becoming an increasingly powerful tool in navigating complex factors affecting your health. So this bill would help close this gap for Medicare beneficiaries to gain access to genetic counselors. So that was a Cliff Notes version of the bills, but advocates can learn more about each of them during Rare Disease Week when they join us. Sarah, what are you going to be doing this Rare Disease Week? Yes, I'll be advocating for access to Genetic Counseling Services Act because Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a genetic connective tissue disease, and I actually still don't know the type of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome that I have because we don't have that genetic information yet, and we need more patients, especially under Medicare, to be able to have service to see the genetic counselors to get these specific diagnoses. Um, it's important to me, it's important to my patient community, and it'll further Genetic Counseling Service access for the entire rare disease community and uh, I'm, I'm really excited to advocate for it and advocate with my Washington State team this year. Britta, for people interested in learning more about how they can participate or get training, where can they go? Well, anyone who would like to experience a week that will change their life and where they can help improve the lives of so many other people should go to rareadvocates.org slash rdw but don't delay because february 11th is the deadline to be able to register and participate in the hill meetings that we've been talking about so please join us and make your voice heard we hope we hope to see you there Britta dornan senior director of communications and marketing for the every life foundation and sarah tompkins advocacy chair of rare disease week 2022 Britta, sarah thanks so much for your time today Thank you so much, Danny. I'm so excited for a week that can change your life from home. Thank you so much, Danny, for helping to spread the word about this amazing event. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. 
drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>